when somebody is obese, this is not a person who just likes pizza. We engage in habits that potentially become self-destructive because at one time or another, these habits provided us with something very significant, just like any other addiction. So whether it was a sense of control or whether it was a sense of comfort or whether it was the way you bonded with your parents over food or whether you didn't want to threaten a member of the family by shining. And I could give you a million different reasons, but the bottom line is that people choose to eat more without realizing it because it's providing them with something where they choose to be larger in many cases without realizing it because it's providing them with something. Hi, I'm Vishen Lakiani, founder of Mind Valley, the school for human transformation. You're listening to the Mind Valley podcast, where we'll be bringing you the greatest teachers and thought leaders on the planet to discuss the world's most powerful ideas and personal growth for mind, body, spirit, and work. Our guest today has been called the Oprah of fitness. Her name is Jillian Michaels, and odds are you've heard of her because she has an international community of followers exceeding 100 million people. Jillian is such a radiant force in the world of fitness. I'm so excited to have her join us in the Mind Valley podcast. Today, I was just playing around with her app. It's called The Fitness App by Jillian Michaels. And here's the cool thing, right? The Fitness App was awarded numerous awards from Apple and Google for app of the year. It, it is insane. This app is so good. I strongly recommend it. I started playing with it and I was blown away by the aesthetics, the design, and Mind Valley makes apps too. So this is technically one of our competitors. We don't do any fitness apps, but I know a good app when I see it. And I just got to say, guys, Jillian's app like crushes it. But she's not just the star of her own fitness app. You've seen her on television. She is the author of eight New York Times bestselling books. She and her company, Empowered Media, has become a monumental wellness empire. Jillian's most recent book is available now. It's called The Six Keys, Unlock Your Genetic Potential for Ageless Strength, Health, and Beauty. Jillian, welcome to the Mind Valley Podcast. Thank you so much. It's great to be on with you. First thing I want to find out is when you were growing up, was this the vision of the life you wanted to lead? Because you've built a massive fitness empire. Was this always the goal? Not at all. I think when I was growing up, I wanted to be a rock star, but I have no musical talent whatsoever. So it did not work out for me. And then I was, I was a chubby kid. I was a bullied kid going through a lot at home. And I was fortunate enough to fall into martial arts at around... 12. And it was through my own personal journey with fitness that I began to appreciate its transformative powers. And I realized that when we feel strong physically, it helps us feel stronger in every facet of our lives. So I kind of fell into this line of work very organically, began training people very organically at 17 years old, and had a very long journey with the jobs you think you should do, you know, the shoulds in life, the responsible thing, right. where you're miserable and you make no money, and ultimately came back to fitness permanently at about 27 opened a sports medicine facility at 30, ended up on The Biggest Loser at 31, and the rest is kind of history. That's so cool, right? That you were the official fitness coach for The Biggest Loser. Yes, we had many, actually. <laughs> but I was uh, one of them, the original. I see, I see. And that's how I first heard about you from watching that reality TV show. So when you created 
your fitness app. I'm curious, but what is unique about your approach to fitness? Well, for me personally, I specialize in weight loss and overall fitness. So when you think of doctors, they subspecialize. You wouldn't see a podiatrist for high cholesterol. You know, you wouldn't see a cardiologist for Alzheimer's. Training is the same. There are trainers that are sports specific. If you're working with a basketball player or a football player, and they have certain modalities of fitness that they need to improve, be it agility or mobility. If you want to pack on muscle, you would train with somebody who specializes in that. If you have an injury that you're trying to rehab, that's a corrective exercise specialist. And while, you know, I'm proficient in these different areas, right? I could look at you and go, oh, you know, you've got this going on with your hip. We could correct it. My specialty is weight loss. I'm very good at it. That's what I do well. Or just getting you trim, getting you in generally great shape, overall well-being, like an internist of fitness, if you will. So for me, I think that with that being my specialty, I'm very authentic. My message has been consistent And I deliver results. And that's where, as crazy as it sounds, I found differentiation and longevity. So now, I was told, Jillian, that you love controversial questions. (laughs) I want to get controversial because there's a lot of opposing ideas in weight loss. So I'm going to ask you this question. I was watching a show on Netflix, and the show on Netflix was called Adam Rubin's Everything. And there was an episode called Adam Rubin's The Dieting Industry. Okay. And they specifically went, picked on the biggest loser. And they brought in a scientist who dropped a number of statistics that were puzzling. One of the statistics is that only 1% of Americans who go on any form of popular American diet actually keeps the weight off. Most people bounce back. Another thing is that on The Biggest Loser, They emphasize exercise so much that people burned off their musculature. And therefore, as soon as they got off the show, they started putting on weight again. So I'm curious to know your thoughts. Like what, firstly, do you agree with these? And secondly, what is off about the way we are training people to lose weight in the world today? Okay. So first, let's address people gaining the weight back. On The Biggest Loser, we actually had a 35% success rate, which is unheard of. And the statistics for people that gain the way back is 95%, not 99%. But with that said, be it on The Biggest Loser or off The Biggest Loser, there is a propensity to gain weight back, just like there's a propensity to fall off the wagon when it comes to alcoholism, just like there's a propensity to start smoking again if you quit. And this has nothing to do with the science of weight loss. This has everything to do with the psychology of it not the biochemistry, not the physiological aspects. It has nothing to do with exercise. It has nothing to do with calories. It has nothing to do with food quality. When somebody is obese, this is not a person who just likes pizza. We engage in habits that potentially become self-destructive because at one time or another, these habits provided us with something very significant just like any other addiction. So whether it was a sense of control or whether it was a sense of comfort or whether it was the way you bonded with your parents over food or whether you didn't want to threaten a member of the family by shining. And I could give you a million different reasons, but the bottom line is that people choose to eat more without realizing it because it's providing them with something where they choose to be larger. 
in many cases without realizing it because it's providing them with something. So on The Biggest Loser, you see that weight loss and exercise, or sorry, diet, eating less, using common sense with your food choices, and moving more works. Nobody needs to lose 100 pounds in eight weeks. It can be done. I'd be happy with 20 pounds in eight weeks. The bottom line is it works. It's evidence that it works. However, the issues that drive somebody to eat more are not resolved. So when that individual is confronted with something challenging, or they go back into the same environment, they can regress and go back to those old behaviors. And I'll give you a perfect example. There was a kid that I worked with on the show and he lost like a hundred pounds in eight weeks. And he was only 18, maybe 19 years old. He and his father came. They went home for the holidays. They, they hadn't been kicked off the show, but it was Christmas. So all the contestants went home and he came back and he had gained seven pounds. Wow. And to make a very long story short, what had happened was that his mother, who was also significantly overweight when she saw her son and her husband, a hundred pounds lighter, she, you know, was threatened. She became depressed. She was crying. She felt like they were going to outgrow her. She felt like they were going to abandon her. She felt like they were going to leave her behind. So what does she do? She withdraws from him and it triggers an emotional abandonment from his mother. So what does it afford him? It affords him the connection with his mother. So what does he do to avoid a primal abandonment? He starts eating again with his mother. This has nothing to do with diet and exercise. So let's put that over here. And then on The Biggest Loser, I don't know who this doctor is, but that's completely untrue with regard to muscle. In fact, I did not like the doctor on Biggest Loser. I had many issues with him. However, there were times, not times, he would take every contestant and dunk them and they would go through DEXA scans And in fact, they would actually gain muscle, which I could never reconcile scientifically because when we, first of all, they had a tremendous amount of muscle to begin with, because when you're carrying 300, 400, 500 pounds, you're going to be pretty darn strong. Nobody needs calves this big with muscle. That's how much muscle they had already. And yet somehow they would actually gain muscle, which is unheard of while losing weight. And the argument for this, and I would ask the mechanism of that to be explained to me because it's totally counterintuitive, but the argument is that, or the science that was explained to me behind those results is that when an individual has that many calories they're burning through essentially, because that's what fat is, it's stored energy. We're not talking about what it does in the body, but that's what it is. You have this excess energy that can be utilized to build more muscle because they're still eating, they're still taking in food. So that's just completely untrue. The science of the show exists somewhere with the doctor of the show, but I worked on it and that's a flat out lie. They actually gained muscle. That's actually interesting. You can watch this on True TV, Adam Rubin's Everything, Why Extreme Diets Don't Work. It's an episode on True TV. If you Google it, you'll find snippets of the episode on YouTube. But I see where you're coming from. I'm sure that they are opposing ideas over here. Now, one of the things that I wanted to ask you about is your opinion on the famous Vox article that emerged a few years ago that suggests that 85 to 90% of our body shape is what we eat. And a tiny, tiny percentage, 10 to 15% is based on exercise. I can actually answer that in a very clear and easy way. If you're trying to lose weight, you must 
exercise. In fact, weight loss is in large part exercise. And here's why. Because let me give you the math, the simple mathematics of it. And while people like to say that the math is irrelevant, it isn't. There are a million studies that will evidence the fact that calories in, calories out is the most powerful tool despite food quality. And you can look at the Twinkie diet as evidence of that. And this is a guy named Mark Tab, who's a professor of nutrition who ate nothing but garbage and ended up losing 27 pounds just to show the simple math of weight loss. So now if I am 150 pounds, I'm only five foot two. So let's say I'm 25 pounds overweight, right? And I've been eating 2,500 calories a day. So let's say I'm only burning 1,600 calories a day without any exercise, just through my daily activity, right? I burned 1,600. Okay. So I've been gradually having a bonus of 900 calories a day and I've packed on an additional 30 pounds. Now I want to lose it. So I say, okay, I'm going to drop my calories to 1,500 calories a day. And man, am I feeling that diet, right? Because I was eating a heck of a lot more. So I'm like, I am sacrificing, right? I'm having egg whites for breakfast and broccoli and boiled chicken. And I am really going all in. I'm being so, quote, good, or I've made dramatic changes. But here's the problem. To lose a pound, we can nitpick and give and take, and it's not exact, whatever. The math is the math. I have evidenced the weight loss. A pound is around 3,500 calories. It's right in that zone. You need to burn 3,500 calories more then you're ingesting to lose a pound. So if my body is burning 1600 calories and I'm eating 1500 calories, that's hundred calories a day. It's going to take me 35 days to drop one pound. And if I have had, you know, something salty, or if I'm a woman and it's that time of the month, I'll be holding water And at the end of 35 days, I could have even gone up a pound because I'm holding a few pounds of water. And then I'm like, oh my God, diets don't work. So it is working. What you're not paying attention to is you're no longer gaining weight. Great, right? That's working. You're no longer steadily packing on the pounds. You're holding ground and you're gradually, very slowly dialing the numbers back. But if I add exercise into the mix, I've now taken that daily burn of 1600 and likely brought it up to 2100 with the work I'm doing during my workout and the burn after my workout, right? So now I'm burning an extra 700 calories a day instead of 100 calories a day. And 700 calories a day times seven, that's a pound and a half or so a week. That's why exercise is critical when it comes to weight loss. And it keeps your metabolism going overall, right? So when we reduce calories, but we don't move more, we can slow down our base metabolic rate. Not a ton, but it can happen. So if you want to lose weight, yes, you need to be mindful of what you're eating. Because if you think about it, two slices of pizza is that 700 calories a day. So watching what you're eating kind of holds neutral. You're not gaining But then exercising brings us into reverse and helps us actively lose. Now, when it comes to weight maintenance, it's all food, not health. But weight maintenance, if I don't eat more than I'm burning in a day, I won't get bigger. I just will not. And when it comes to weight gain, once again, it's all food. Because if I'm eating more than I burn in a day, (laughs) then I'm going to gain the weight. So with gain, it's like 100% food. With maintenance, it's like... 
85, 90% food, but with weight loss, it's like- One of the things I've realized after conducting well over a thousand interviews with the world's greatest thought leaders in everything from entrepreneurship to spirituality, to health and wellness, to relationship, is that life is enormous. And there are so many ways we can make our life better and better in every way, in every single day. If you're successful in just one area of life, you might just suck in another. I've known billionaires whose romantic lives were in shambles. I've known incredibly emotionally intelligent people who just couldn't make money. And that's totally fine. It doesn't matter where you are. Life doesn't have to stay the same forever. You're not cursed or destined to be miserable or unlucky in love or struggling to make ends meet. You were just never thought how to have it all, how to do things differently, how to master the human experience from a mind, body, and soul perspective. This is where Mind Valley membership comes in. When you become a Mind Valley member, you are coached by the greatest teachers in the world. You get to live a life beyond your wildest dreams and learn the best systems, protocols, methods, step by step by step in just 20 minutes a day to get there. You become the man or woman that you've always aspired to be. And this happens in the easiest, most effective way because of the Mind Valley transformational model. Go to mindvalley.com forward slash now. Don't settle for ordinary. Don't settle for your life the way it is now. Aspire to step into your greatness. 80% exercise, 20% food. That's so interesting. It's counter to this article. I'm just going to paste the article here in the chat. We don't have to debate this, but it's just cool listening to different viewpoints. So this article is from Box and Box said, why you shouldn't exercise to lose weight explained with 60 plus studies. And what they explain over here, what Box explains, and it's a long article, but it's well-researched and the studies are listed. They say this, exercise is almost useless for weight loss. Unfortunately, I would need time. It's a bold statement, right? Yeah. And go through every study. But what I can say is I've been doing this for three decades and I'm kind of one of the best in the world at it. And I could say like, you've seen me do it on TV. So you can say, well, they didn't keep it off. As I mentioned, that's a psychological problem. It doesn't have anything to do with exercise. But even if you were to look at any of the comments, let's say hypothetically under any of the posts on social, because you you could say, well, she faked the testimonials. No problem. I faked the testimonials. Look at the comments on YouTube where people are like, I started doing your workout or I started taking your advice on calorie counting and suddenly the weight came off. I found a phrase here that I think may reconcile this. Okay. It says exercise alone is almost useless for weight loss. Exercise accounts for a small portion of daily calorie burn. But I noticed in your app, which is an excellent app, one of the things that you do that I really like is you also help with the food. It's not just exercise. You are super. What I loved about your app is that one of the best and coolest ways I've seen in any fitness app to help you plan your diet. First of all, as I mentioned, you can eat your way through any amount of exercise. Yeah. And that's why you've got to eat at the very most what you're burning in a day and allow exercise to create that deficit to dig into your stored energy right. in your fat cells, right? However, that's just simply not true. If you're training efficiently and effectively, you could burn anywhere from 10, you know, depending on your size, I could burn 10 calories a minute. A 250-pound man can burn 20 calories a minute if I was training him. So if not more, and then you have the afterburn effect or what's called EPOC, 
excess post-oxygen consumption basically means afterward, an elevated metabolic rate after you train. And that is impacted by the intensity of the workout, the duration of the workout. So how you train can be 500 calories for someone like me with a 30 minute workout over a 24 hour period, or my God, I mean, with a grown man, a thousand calories. Right. So let's move off the subject. And I want to bring up another controversial topic. Well, I mean, I, I don't know if it would be controversial, but I'd love to know your views on fasting, intermittent oh, fasting. Everyone is talking about it. Mind Valley has a program coming out on intermittent yeah. fasting. Dave Asprey just wrote a book on it. Curious to know your thoughts on fasting. I mean, it is irrefutable that for longevity and health, it is one of the best things you can do. Ironically, I was just talking to a guy named Dan Goodnow, and he specializes in looking for these biomarkers of disease. And I mean, just yesterday, and he was like, one of the best things you can do is an intermittent fast. And Dr. David Sinclair, same thing, a geneticist at Harvard who talks about one of the best things you can do for anti-aging is create a fasting window. So fasting for weight loss, No, I look at fasting as a component for overall health, fighting disease, lengthening your life. Do you practice fasting in any way? I do. I do a minimum 12-hour window, and I try to get to a 14-hour window, and I have a little cheat now that I've employed that isn't as ideal, but I'll do like the, instead of the MCT and all of that, I just do a little organic heavy cream in my coffee. Uh-huh. And it gets me from 12 to 14. But if I go longer, I end up overeating because I become over right. so it becomes counterintuitive. But I get a minimum of a 12-hour window and I try to get to 14. And you're trying to do that every day, every day of the week? Yeah, every day. But by okay. the way, it's honestly the way we're designed. It's called breaking your fast. Right. I mean, it's not, it's, what's crazy is that this is the way we're designed. We're designed to sleep overnight, not eat while we're sleeping. And that's one of the reasons like that late night snacking is so bad because that's when your body is doing all of its rebuilding, repairing, making hormones. Yeah. And you need to be in that fasted state for it to do that efficiently. This is not my science. Obviously, this is the science so, that's far greater than me, but I understand it. And I believe that it's a tremendous tool for health. I agree. I do a 16 hour fast four times a week and I do a 20 hour fast once a week. Oh, how do you do it? I'm beta testing. I'm beta testing Mind Valley's new fasting program. So coffee, coffee and water with Himalayan salt, sparkling water with Himalayan salt really help you push through it. And I got to a point where I I do a 20 hour fast now once a week and I feel good. Like I don't get any hunger pangs, but Uh, uh, I I don't know that I'd make it. I would love to be able to because I appreciate the benefits I don't know that I'd be able to get through it. But again, in almost every fasting book, recent book on fasting, it says that the rules for men and women are different. And even in Mind Valley's program by Ronan Diego, he says that for women, for women, the 20-hour window is too much. But what you're doing sounds about right. I can get to that 14 with that little cheat of the cream because it kind of holds right. me without getting like, err. And it keeps me from like when you, you know, when you finally eat and you're like, wow, this is the best tasting omelet I've ever had. And you end up exactly both. right. I love that about fasting. I love, I love the process when you break your fast. Yeah. Oh. Okay. The next question is, I'd love to hear your views on exercise. Like what are some of the biggest BS ideas out there regarding exercise and what exercise routines do you recommend? And I don't want you to hold anything back. 
Well, first of all, let's get into what I recommend. The number one rule of fitness is consistency. So, you know, I could tell you all the most effective techniques and, you know, high intensity training. And yes, beginners can do high intensity because what's high intensity for a beginner is appropriate for beginners, right? It's, it's all relative high intensity training, resistance training, metabolic circuits, all of this stuff. I could get into these techniques that are going to be the most efficient and the most effective and the burn more calories and boost your DHA and your testosterone level, all that crap. But if you would rather be dead than show up for it, it's not going to work. <laughs> so the reality is consistency is key. And this is where you, you kind of got to meet people where they're at. So if they love Pilates or they love dance, so they like to walk or hike or whatever, you got to go, all right, you love these things. Let's build that into your schedule at least four times a week, ideally. And what would be great actually is if we did this three times a week and you gave me two of these kinds of workouts for variety, to have a more holistic approach to your fitness, to work on different modalities of fitness and so on. Consistency is key, getting someone to show up. And then we could get into all those other techniques I touched upon. Some of the greatest baloney are things like hot workouts. I know people love it, but it's totally counterintuitive. You know, people subscribe to diets and workouts like a religion. It's wild how personal they take it when you critique a diet or a workout trend. You're not detoxing the body through sweating. That's just, that's like turning lead into gold. And that's just, it's absurd. That's not what happens. You're literally cooling yourself. That's what sweating does. So when we're taking a hot workout, it compromises our intensity because it's hot as hell. So you feel like it's intense because you're hot, but we want to generate heat from the inside out, right? Not the outside in. It actually makes your contractions less intense less powerful. It makes your workout less intense. So you're getting slower results because you aren't able to train as hard. You're dehydrating yourself, which is completely counterintuitive to health and fitness efficiency and effectiveness. Things like that are just like, uh, if you love it, you know, I, I mean, okay, drink a lot of water, but it's, it's not more effective. You're not burning more calories. It's the exact opposite. And I could go through, you know, all these different things, but you know, people love it. So I would just say, do your homework on the pros and the cons of it and try to mitigate, right? So if you do something like that, drink a ton of water, you know, people love communities like CrossFit. Some of the downsides is that, you know, you've got very advanced modalities of fitness with coaches, I'm sorry, that have been trained for a weekend. And then on the other hand, you've got guys that have degrees in exercise science teaching what, it. What are your views on uh, high-intensity interval training? Love it when it's done properly. So what I mean by that is it needs to be the right intensity for the athlete. So what's high-intensity for me might not be high-intensity for you right? If I was to have you do sprints on a treadmill or Tom Brady do sprints on a treadmill or I'll use myself, I mean, we could have him at 14 miles an hour and an incline of 10, and I'm sure we wouldn't be able to break him, right? And right. we get his heart rate to 170. And I could take somebody off the street 
and put them in an incline of five and a speed of seven, and we could get their heart rate to 170. So what's considered high intensity is different for each athlete. It's based on heart rate. And that heart rate can be achieved at differing levels of activity based on the individual. And you also have to program recovery. People will tell you, you know, some exercise specialists I respect will say, there's no such thing as overtraining, there's under-recovering. I don't know that I fully agree with that because people get injured when they do things they're not capable of doing. That would be considered training over your, your fitness level. However, the importance of recovery has been overlooked in many modalities of fitness that are founded upon higher intensity techniques. So I love all of that as long as it's appropriate for the athlete and you've got the appropriate amount of recovery programmed Mm -hmm. into the regimen. So what do you think of micro workouts? Like for example, the book, The One Minute Workout by Martin Gibala, PhD. What are your views on that? Years ago, I used to get really pissed with things like that because it's like, stop giving people this false message of lethargy, like just do the bare minimum. I mean, first of all, when you do the bare minimum, you're going to get the bare minimum. Mm-hmm. Now, is the bare minimum better than nothing? Yes, of course it is. Anything is better than nothing. Every step in the right direction is exactly that, a step in the right direction. But you're going to get the bare minimum. And I also find that it's like, oh, poor, weak, sad, pathetic, sorry, you just take the stairs, just do a minute. Like, this is not an empowering message, in my opinion. Now, if the argument is you're super crazy, you're super busy, like take the stairs instead of the elevator. It's not saying just take the stairs, just do a minute. It's like get every bit of activity into your day that you can. It's going to be beneficial. It's going to add up over time. That message I like. I've even like appreciated the popularity of seven minute workouts, 10 minute workouts. And I find that it is a no excuse zone. So for example, with the fitness app, we have free daily seven minute workouts. Costs you nothing. You need no equipment. Give me seven minutes. It's not daunting. It's not overwhelming. It's not intimidating. There's no barrier to entry. It's totally free and you can do it anywhere, anytime. And it's only seven minutes but it's like a gateway drug of fitness. That's, I mean, I'm, that's a total trick. It's like, come on in, (laughs) you know, and then you get somebody doing seven and then you try to get them to do 10 and then 15 and 20. And if you use it that way of like, look, jump in the water's fine. And you're gradually boosting their confidence and showing them that they can do this and a little bit more. And then they start to see the positive results. That's where I think there's benefit is incorporating activity wherever you can, and meeting somebody where they're at and then bringing them along to bigger numbers. Yeah. And I'm going to paste another link over here for the audience that's joining us live, right? This is also from Vox. You can Google this if you're listening to this in the podcast, how to get the most out of your exercise time according to science. Now, the one minute workout isn't really one minute. It's just fancy book marketing. But it Uh, is interesting because it's based on the famous studies at McMaster University. And one of the things that they showed is that, so in the study, they basically had people doing a 10-minute high-intensity interval training form of workout, and then a 50-minute regular aerobic workout. And they found that both had similar results. So their argument is simply, if you can't put in 50 minutes and you can just put in 10 minutes because you're busy, you wake up in the morning, you got to get dressed, get the kids to school, then you know hurry off for work, 10 minutes can make a powerful shift in your life. And that's really the whole point of it. 
It absolutely can, especially when you're training with those more advanced techniques. Right. This kind of goes back to like exercise doesn't burn calories. It depends on what you're doing. If you're on the elliptical flipping through your phone, then no, it's not going to do much. You're going to burn 100 calories. But if you're training with these kinds of advanced techniques, you see that in 10 minutes you can burn in a very slow kind of gradual, you know, flip through the phone, talk to the guy on the machine next to you. If you're training efficiently, you can be very efficient with your fitness and accelerate your results. So high intensity interval training is exactly that. We're training at a higher intensity for a finite period of time, because of course these levels of intensity are impossible to maintain at a consistent, in a consistent timeframe. So for example, you can't hold a nine mile an hour sprint for 10 minutes. That's kind of the whole point. That's an important distinction, right? When you're doing a 10 minute workout. So the study here is based on a 2016 SIT study by Dr. Yabala. And what I think people forget is that that 10 minutes is crazy intense. So you are saving time, but it's going to freaking crush you. It's crazy intense. That brings me to the next question I'd love to to ask you about, because we only have about 14 minutes left. What are your views on resistance training? Great for you. Once again, it's just irrefutable. Like, I don't even know why somebody would write an article about don't exercise. Like, that's the kind of person you just... <laughs> no, I, I don't think that's like, the point. What are you I think... doing? Like, you want clickbait? Yeah. Like, you're trying to make these... Like, it's just wrong. It's like, when you give people this information, because you, you're like, oh, they're going to want to hear this. Yeah. this is, resistance training yeah. is one of the most powerful things that we can do for our cognitive function. Resistance training is amazing. Yeah, it's so amazing. I mean, Mindvalley's whole 10X protocol is based on optimized resistance training. But just on that article, right? It's by Julia Belus and Javier Zaracina. It's called Why You Shouldn't Exercise to Lose Weight, explained with 60 plus studies. And they suggest that 90% of your body shape is food, 10% is exercise. I checked this statistic with Dr. Mark Hyman. He actually agreed. He said it's 80% food, 20% exercise. But why I think they used the article. Now, of course, today in the web, you got to have clickbaity headlines to get attention. But really what they're going for are companies like Nestle and Coca-Cola. Nestle and Coca-Cola tell you to eat fake food, like right, horrible, horrible, horrible substances that shouldn't be in the human body. And then they tell you, oh, but if you exercise, you burn it off. So go ahead and enjoy your soda your milo actually do that is the truth but it's not going to prevent you from getting cancer from genetic mutations after eating fake food so you know we have to separate weight loss and health so these two can absolutely intersect right but the reality is if you're eating 10 twinkies and then you eat three twinkies you will get smaller Skinny people get diabetes, skinny people get heart disease, skinny people get cancer because the chemicals still kill you. You just might not have extra calories. So there's calories, which is energy, right? And then there's nutrients. They're very different things. So it just depends. I know skinny people that drink Coca-Cola that are very active. Look exactly. At diet. When he was swimming like an animal, he was in fantastic shape. Now, is it going to cause cancer down the road that he was eating McDonald's every day? Quite possibly, but his body was amazing. And for those of you listening, I really want you to Google this. Financial Times, Nestle leak. So this happened on May 31st, May 31st. So really recently, 
The article here, and I've pasted it in the link for those of you who are live with us, Nestle Documents says majority of its food portfolio is unhealthy. A leaked internal memo from Nestle, Nestle itself said that 60% of their products do not meet recognized definition of health. It's shocking, but it shows you how much we're being lied to. So I'm really glad that we agree on this point. I wrote a book about this well over a decade ago called Master Your Metabolism. And it looked at dangerous chemicals in our food, not only that, but in our air and our water and your beauty products and your cleaning products and how they are impacting not just your weight and your metabolic function and your biochemistry, which determines how your metabolism is going to function, but your overall health and wellness. The only thing, and the reason I've sort of dialed back a bit on that message is because I find it overwhelms the hell out of people. So this is where I I try to just say like, okay, look, you know, let's simplify this as best we can, right? Like stop eating when you're full, don't overeat. We know when we're full, right? But then it's like, oh, but it tastes so good, just a few more bites. Or it's like, we're bored or we're snacking. We know we're not actually hungry. Eat when you're hungry, use common sense with your food choices. You and I could ask anybody on the street right now, any person, I guarantee you, like, hey, should you have pizza or the chicken salad? They know the answer. Right. But when we're being marketed to, right? When we're being marketed to, I mean, I went to school in Michigan and I remember for breakfast, this, now this was 1999, okay? I was a stupid college kid. But for breakfast, me and the guys I lived with, we ate Pop-Tarts because we were told on television that this was a, a decent breakfast. Shut up, and we, you not believe that. I think they just tasted awesome. It was 1999. We, no. the, the idea of health in America was at a whole different level and we were stupid college kids. So you can't blame us, but a lot of people were as little educated about health as I was when I was in college and think Pop-Tarts are a regular breakfast. Now, I grew up in Malaysia and in Malaysia, Nestle is the biggest company on the stock market. And Nestle has brainwashed the entire population of Malaysia to believe that children need to drink two glasses of Milo every single day. Milo is 40% sugar. And Malaysia today has the highest obesity rate of any country in Asia. There's so much (laughs) bullshit out there, but it's being forced onto the consumers. Now, one more thing. Someone is asking me in the chat, Vision, please share the link for your Pop-Tart diet. Oh, God. (laughs) Guys, I'm confessing that I was really, really, really stupid and uneducated about health 20 years ago. But my point is a lot of people in the developing world don't have access to the knowledge we do, and they fall prey to these douchey marketing tactics. Now, as we're coming to the tail end, I want to ask you this. Have you ever read the book Body by Science by Doug McGuff? No, I have not. Okay. So Doug McGuff talks about the big five exercises. And he says that if you're going to a gym, there are these specific five exercises. And if you do them, and I think he suggests it's between one to three minutes per exercise, you get incredible results on your body. And it's based on time under tension. So putting your muscles under maximum pressure, time under tension. Curious to know your thoughts on that. Time under tension is one of the most powerful techniques in fitness, right? It's how long are you maintaining the contraction? With that said, there are so many different components, right? It's like, well, you're doing something for one to three minutes. Is your form compromised? Is the intensity of the contraction compromised? Is that counterintuitive? Like, Everybody has a trainer logic and I appreciate that trainer logic. It's when I don't see trainer logic that I get frustrated. 
So he has a very clear trainer logic. You know, you could talk to someone like Harley Pasternak who had five factor fitness and he has a trainer logic. Everyone has a trainer logic. Ultimately, my answer with fitness is that it's kind of like food. It's sort of like saying like if you go for tremendous sushi and then you go for tremendous Thai food, it's like is one better than another? I mean, assuming that it's gourmet and the ingredients are wonderful, like not necessarily. I think the answer with fitness that you can always subscribe to, always, number one, consistency, as we discussed. Number two, variety. I would do his workout once a week and then I would do something else because the body adapts. So his workout will become inefficient over time if you're doing it every day anyway. Do his workout. Plus the body adapts, right? Right. Yeah, do do yoga, do a HIIT workout because you're training different modalities of fitness. You're training flexibility, you're training strength, you're training power, you're training agility. So you want all of that to be the most well-rounded. You also want that to continue to create what's called a stress adaptation response. So for example, I give my body new stressful stimulus. It's like, whoa, this is intense. This is crazy. I've got to adapt. I've got to become stronger. And if you do it all the time, your body will stop seeing results, right? So consistency, then variety. And then if we can get into intelligent intensity with programmed recovery, you're good. Go ahead and have a blast. Take a Pilates class, do this workout from this gentleman, but consistency and variety are going to be your most important things, period. Mm, Absolutely. Now, Jillian, let's come to your book, Six Keys. Unlock your genetic potential for ageless strength, health, and beauty. So uh, in the final five minutes, I'd love for you to tell us about this book, why you wrote it. What are some of the key topics that you discuss? So I quite honestly was fascinated in how it dramatically varies the way people age. You know, you could see somebody who is in their early 30s and they literally perform like they are 65, you know, they have high cholesterol and they can barely get up a flight of stairs and their skin is falling apart. Or you could see somebody who's 65 and is hiking Everest and looks fresh as a daisy. And it's like, okay, is this genetic? What is this? And in large part, no, genetics has nothing to do with it. It's about the expression of our genetics. And we can impact that with the way that we live. So it's looking at these six body processes, everything from your macromolecules to your telomeres and how these body processes impact aging and what we can do about it. And intermittent fasting is absolutely in the book for that very reason. Amazing. Amazing. I can't wait to get access to this book. I'm going to be buying it on my Kindle. I'm just going to read out a little bit about the book because I want to make sure I direct you to great, great, great stuff by amazing authors. So the subtitle is called Unlock Your Genetic Potential for Ageless Strength, Health, and Beauty. The Six Keys presents an ageless health, fitness, and beauty plan that addresses all six of them and gets them working for you instead of against you. So by the six, Jillian says, scientists and doctors have identified six major age insiders, metabolism, damaged macromolecules, epigenetics, inflammation, stress adaptation, and telomeres. And so the book gives you a way to ensure that you are tackling all six of these age insiders and ensuring that you are aging in the most beautiful, gracious way. 
Well said. <laughs> I need to have you do this for me on every show. I'm serious about reading this book. I'm going to be 46 soon, and I want to be as young as I can, as long as I can. So I'm super excited about this one. And I like that you cover some new stuff. Like a lot of people are not aware of macromolecules, epigenetics, stress adaptation, or telomeres. Could you give us just on those four, could you give us a quick definition of each? It would take time. Like even if we were to get into telomeres, which is essentially these little caps on the end of your DNA, right? So when these things become shortened, that's bad (laughs) because it compromises your DNA. And so there are ways to maintain the length of your telomeres. They're even looking at things like telomerase, but there are some dangers with that because it has to do with cancer cells and growing cancer cells. But there are ways we can live behaviors we engage in, nutrients we can consume, and conversely, activities we shouldn't engage with that we know can accelerate the shortening of our telomeres. One of the better ways to evidence epigenome, I find, is, again, it's a long book, but when you look at something like your epigenome, you can impact your epigenome, right? And it's going to it's kind of crazy, but this actually gets passed down to your children. So think of it like this. They have a study in there on the potato famine. I don't know if, if you've ever heard of this, right? It's, I think it was about a hundred years ago. Forgive me. It's been a minute since I wrote this book. So, and the population went through this famine and it left a marker on their epigenome that slowed down the metabolism of their offspring. Like, Every single individual who experienced that. Another example of epigenome would be when we talk about muscle having memory, we mark our epigenome to remember. Crazy how many of these new discoveries are blowing our ideas of health. Epigenetics is just mind-blowing. So I'm so glad and so proud of you. I I could go on. And that's why I was like, oh God, you're giving me four. It's going to be. I know we've come to the tail end of this. I just want to give a quick shout out to the book. By the way, the book is currently free on Kindle. Kindle's doing a promo of this book. So if you go to the Amazon page, I'm going to paste it here. You can get this book for free on Kindle. Choose Kindle, buy now with one click. I don't know if this is going to be still free when you listen to the podcast. Even then, it's like 12 bucks for the hardcover version. And this book is going to blow your mind. So go check it out. The Six Keys, Unlock Your Genetic Potential for Ageless Strength, Health, and Beauty by Jillian Michaels. Jillian, thank you so much for being in the Mind Valley podcast. Thank you for having me. And I look forward to connecting with you sometime in the not too distant future. I'm Vishen Lakiani, and this is the Mind Valley Podcast. If you like the Mind Valley podcast, take the next step. Become a Mind Valley member. Imagine being coached daily by the greatest teachers on the planet. How quickly would you transform your health, your mindset, your body, your relationships? How quickly would you double the size of your company? How quickly would you see your career grow? How quickly would you eliminate any limiting belief that's holding you back and manifest a life that you once thought beyond your dreams? When you become a member, 
you don't just get access to the greatest education in the world. You become part of a community of 150,000 of the most incredible people dedicated to personal growth. Go to mindvalley.com forward slash now to get started.